Hey there, this is Alana Terry, and you are listening to the Successful Writer Podcast. Thank you for joining me. Thank you for everybody who has been so kind and generous as our family was recovering from COVID. We are so thankful to be over the worst, and I'm really, really looking forward to just getting back to work, to be honest. I was out of commission for a little over a week. Could have been so, so much worse. It was not as hard as about 10 years ago when I was pregnant, plus I had a one-year-old and a three-year-old and got sick with swine flu. That was a lot harder of a recovery, so I'm really, really thankful that our family was spared the super severe type of symptoms. I really appreciate all of the warm wishes and the thoughts and the prayers, and I'm just so thankful to be back with you all today. So this episode is an interview with Becca Syme. Becca has been my success coach for several months now, and she has a new book coming out called Dear Writer, It's 2020, which is probably my favorite named book that has come out this year. And we're going to be talking in this interview about things like burnout and resilience and kind of the state of the indie author community and how things are pretty much destined to get better than what they are. It was a very encouraging and optimistic interview that I'm really, really happy to share with you. So without further ado, here is my chat with Becca Syme about resilience, burnout, and 2020. Hey there, this is Alana Terry, and you are listening to the Successful Writer Podcast with me and my very special guest, Becca Syme, is a strengths coach. I would, you want to just tell us a tiny, tiny bit about that? I know that's not our topic today, but that's how I met you, and I think it's awesome. Yes, strengths, the Clifton Strengths program is a success metric. So it's the, the intention was to be able to measure how different people are successful in different ways. And so there is a, an assessment that you can take and it tells you based on the success patterns of 2 million of the best of the best um, people in the most successful people, how do you pattern after how they were successful? And then how can we expect you to be successful? So the official title of what I do is success coaching. So it's the, how do we get you where you want to be? Yeah. And it's awesome. There is a Patreon, there's some coaching. So I have in some courses, I've been really, really encouraged just even over the past couple months, getting to know and pick your brain more and going through some of your coaching. So I really appreciate you and all you do. And you've got a new book coming out, which is what we're chatting about today. I do. The Dear Writer it's 2020. Which is <laughs> fabulously titled. <laughs> yeah. So, so true. It's funny because one of my co-authors that I write other nonfiction with, he said, you know what you should do is you should make that book come out on January 1st, 2021. <laughs> no, that'd be terrible. Uh, that would be so hilarious. And I was like, no, we can't do that. Like, we can't do that. That would be awful. We well, want I, 2020 to be over to on be December done. 30th, 2020. Yeah. I know. I know. I remember it was like mid-October and I was getting anxious to like buy all the Christmas presents. And I'm yeah. not really a shop ahead. But let's just wrap up this year. All right. <laughs> come on. Yeah, I know. I feel that. Like, let's just have it be done already. 
Yeah, I, I feel that so much. <laughs> so I actually, I want to start with a question. So I'm in your Patreon community. And so I got a little teaser from the book and it was the teaser oh, about your concerns about dating the book. You know, obviously even just in the title, dear writer, it's 2020, there's dating there. But I know yeah. even as fiction authors, there's a lot of questions like, should we mention the pandemic? Should we ignore it? So tell me a tiny bit just of your process between writing a book kind of just to help writers through adversity versus writing a book about writers in 2020. Yeah, that's a great question because that's kind of the tactic that I took about it was in not wanting to date myself, I was thinking how similar are the issues that we've been seeing to what I, what we've had, what, what, how similar is what we've seen happen in 2020 to other things that we've been seeing in the writing community. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And where I kind of fell on that scale was we've been watching this coming for a while, not the pandemic itself, Mm -hmm. but sort of the global reckoning with the burnout of our author community. Mm -hmm. And we've been seeing burnout happen on a very slow sort of person by person basis Mm -hmm. for a while. And then it kind of felt like it picked up steam in 2019. And then it really crested at the beginning of 2020. And so when the pandemic hit, I was kind of like, everybody's already burned out. And now we're facing pandemic burnout. And so I was like, let's just write a book about resilience for 2020 being a metaphor that crisis point of like Mm. and now I can't function anymore how do I handle this so yeah (laughs) right right I can just picture and you know 10 years like man today's such a 2020 day (laughs) such a 2020 day (laughs) like that's the most 2020 thing that's happened I agree and that's part of why I I almost took Terry's advice about releasing it in January Uh because I was like 2020 is a is an experience it's not a location Right. Mm, Like it's going to be replicated mm -hmm. over and over again throughout 2021 and potentially 22 and 23. So I, I agree with you. I think we're going to still be using 2020. (laughs) I know none of us do. I don't think it's going to be as bad because now we expect it. Right. And I think that's the other piece about writing a book about something like resilience is that once you expect adversity, you handle it so much better because now you're not surprised by it. Right. Interesting. Okay. So you, you actually have an entire book on burnout. You've coached, Mm -hmm. I'm sure hundreds of authors through burnout or ways to prevent burnout. What about you specifically? How, how has 2020 been for you? Yeah, I definitely burned out myself in 2020. And I I would say I burned out creatively Mm -hmm. a little bit in 2020 because I was trying to keep up with production schedules that I had set pre-COVID, like before the pandemic. Mm -hmm. And I had some pre-orders that I had set. I had some deadlines that I was like, man, I'm just going to try to push through these. And then the way that my life had changed because of the pandemic, you know, not being able to see my family, Mm -hmm. not being able to see my friends in person, because like really trying hard to respect the the boundaries and make the disease not get worse and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I was not getting fed because I'm a very social person. Mm, And so I was really burned out creatively because I wasn't getting enough new and different experiences. Like I was a person who traveled at least once a month um, for years and sometimes Mm -hmm. twice and three times a month. And I haven't been in an airport since 
February. And so it's, it's been a very strange experience for me. And I didn't realize how much it affected me to not have those new and different experiences until Mm -hmm. I was deep into the throes of those deadlines. And then all of a sudden I'm like, I have nothing, like I have no, no creativity. And so I definitely also feel like I went through some burnout this year. It was pretty, pretty devastating. Yeah. 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 And it's funny because hearing you talk about how 2020 has impacted you and your burnout versus mine, like it's the same symptoms, I'm sure. And the same problem, but totally different. Like, I don't like to travel anyways, for me, (laughs) traveling once a month is what would get me burned out. (laughs) Right. Yes. So that's so true. And that's something I love about just the approach you take with your courses and your coaching. It really does I mean, everything was dependent on just your own makeup and how it impacts yeah. you. Yeah. I love to that acknowledgement of like the, with strengths specifically, but just in general with that individualized approach, like we can both be extremely successful and very good at what we do and be so different mm-hmm. that we wouldn't go about it, about how we approach success, even remotely the same way. Mm-hmm. And I think that's the important piece of, that I like about strengths is that there is no assumption, for instance, that you have to have high achiever to be able to achieve things. Like there's no assumption mm-hmm. that you can't be really productive and effective if you don't have some of the executing strengths or something like that. So I like the thought of, well, you can have the success that you want. It's in your reach. How you go about it's going to be different than how another person would, but that doesn't make it any less possible for us uh, mm-hmm. to have what we want. And I like that, that approach a lot. Yeah. I've been looking at authors who they write as their form of escape. And I've been kind of jealous all year. It's like, well, there's so much to escape from. I just, I know that that's not how I work. Yeah. Wouldn't it be nice though? Like if I could just <laughs> disconnect completely while I was writing. I can't do that either. Mm -hmm. I'm not, I have, I am way too involved in what I do for it to be like the way that my brain turns off. I just wish that I could do that. Right. So was writing this book compared to writing your other books for authors, was it a lot harder? Was it kind of nice? Did it help you process what was just the writing itself like for you? It did. It helped me process a lot. And one of the benefits of doing nonfiction for me, because I didn't start off in nonfiction, it was mm-hmm. actually kind of foreign to me when I started writing it, because I have an academic background. So usually with academics, you have like a very clear stated purpose that you're doing research for. And for these books, mm-hmm. it was more like, I'm seeing these patterns emerging among writers, and I feel like I have to tell a larger group of people about them. So that's also kind of what happened with the 2020 book was Mm -hmm. um, because we coach such a high volume of people, I was like, man, this is how everybody's struggling with these particular things. And hopefully it'll help a little bit to hear about. So like the, the big core of this book is the question asking that people have, like, why Mm -hmm. am I not having the success that I want to have? And I realized that I repeat the same answers, the same questions over and over again in my coaching. And so I thought, what if I just took like the 20 most asked questions about Mm -hmm. why am I not successful and, and then answered them the way that I would answer like a coaching student, which is kind of how I have done my other books as well. They're all very Mm -hmm. coaching directed. And that's kind of where the book came from. So some of it was helping me to process what I had been through. But also some of it was that 
desire to like help people not feel like what they're going through when they are not successful is making them crazy. Like that you're not a crazy person or a bad writer, or you're not doomed to failure or whatever. If you're not having the success that you want, it's still possible to get there. You just have to reckon Mm. with some things first. Yeah. And I think maybe even just the awareness that this is if not quite a universal issue, it's a, it's an issue that so many authors are going through. And I think that that yeah. helps too, because we're yeah. more isolated than ever, you know, logistically yeah. and physically. And so I'm sure that, yeah, you're, you're talking one-on-one to people and they're saying, I feel so alone. Nobody else is going through this. And you're hearing this from 30 people a week. probably. The, yes. <laughs> and I'm like, and you are all feeling that, trust me, right. but it's harder when they're like, you know, in the middle of it. So I'm like, okay, let's back up and try and write like logist or logically like externally about it and so I'm I'm excited about what the book could do for even just for our own platform people collating some of the questions that get asked all the time I'm kind of excited about that so yeah it's been fun in terms of the questions you are getting asked and the the specific issues authors are having are there any surprises I mean I'm sure you're getting a lot of I don't know what the future holds so I'm stressed out that kind of thing but are there any surprises of the way this is impacting people that you wouldn't have expected so I'm always surprised when things that are natural for me to see that Mm. other people don't see them Uh that's been one of the most interesting pieces is like so a lot of strategic Uh, things is one of my highest strengths in the Clifton Strengths Assessment is strategic. So I'm always anticipating and looking forward and thinking about roadblocks. And so a lot of the hard parts for me are things like you've been seeing the same level of failure every single time you try this one tactic. Mm -hmm. Why not change tactics? Like I don't understand that. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of what surprises me are things that I feel like are intuitive. And I have to kind of then be reminded like, oh right, there's no such thing as common sense. Like everyone's common (laughs) sense is different. Uh And so I have to be like, okay, let's back off from your expectations about how strategic people should be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I'm the worst at that, I think. Yeah. Well, I'm curious about what you said about sort of sensing that the indie author community was kind of on its way to crisis even before this hit. What were some of the, what were some of the things you were seeing? Where do you think that came from? So the large number of people who got into this because they saw the success of someone else was possible. Mm-hmm. And, and the reason that they got into it, it reminds me a lot of the gold rush phenomenon from, oh, right. you know, the, the mid uh, 19th century in the United States. And the way that the gold rush happened, right. Was there was a bunch of money to be had a very few people made a lot of money and a mm-hmm. lot of people lost a lot of money trying right. to make money. And so what that, what the indie author community has reminded me of for a long time, for probably the last five years, is that gold rush phenomenon where there's so much money to be made, but so few people can really make the big, big money. Mm-hmm. But there's this expectation that, oh, anyone can make the big money. Well, is it true that anyone can? Absolutely. Is it true that everyone will? No. So whenever there's that mm-hmm. big bubble, right? There's always this expectation that at some point the bubble is going to burst. Not that the 
not that the market itself will retract because the right. appetite for books isn't going to go anywhere, but that there's too many people thinking that they should be making huge money because mm. they're following all the correct steps. Right. And so that, that will create malaise at some point. And I that feel like sense. that's coming for us. So, What do you feel based on all of the individual work you've done with the authors? What sets apart those who kind of just burn out and then give up? What sets them apart from those who are more resilient and just plow through and figure out what works? So some of it is experience, like an awful lot of people who've experienced not just burnout, but genuine real setbacks Mm -hmm. in their lifetime, Mm -hmm. where it's almost like they've practiced being frustrated by something and figuring out a way around it. Mm. Those kinds of people tend to find what they what they're looking for, right? So that level of emotional and mental resilience is often something that we practice, not just that happens to us, right? And so Mm -hmm. people who develop that mindset over time, I see helping. The other thing that that is really amazing is I feel like when people see opportunities in setbacks or in barriers Mm -hmm. or in failure or in disappointment, and they see it as an opportunity instead of as a punishment or mm-hmm. as a, a finality of some kind, like right. the people who tend to not, not succeed in the long run are definitely people for whom success is not something that they think they have to work for. They think it's something that happens to them. So here's my selfish question of the day. How do we become more resilient without having to go through? Are there any <laughs> shortcuts to learning resilience? <laughs> yeah, I would say having having uh, risk taking behaviors and small things mm, can mm-hmm. help a lot. So mm-hmm. like you don't necessarily have to go through huge giant setbacks to resilience, but you definitely want to experience failure in small doses as mm. a way to kind of inoculate yourself against that fear of finality. And of course the, the growth versus fixed mindset stuff is a big mm-hmm. thing that's in vogue right now is why I think there's some of that in play. Mm-hmm. Um, but the other So I read a book, I don't know, several years ago that I thought was so fantastic that talked about this, about the opportunity that you see. And I like the way the language he uses to describe it. It's called The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. Mm -hmm. And he talks about how when you see that the thing that stands in front of you is the way to your success and not the a barrier to it. Right, right. That's the seeing an opportunity in something. And and I feel like that book has flaws like all books. I mean, my books mm-hmm. have tons of flaws, but that book has flaws like all books. But I think his mindset talk is mm. really important for growing resilience because it can absolutely be something that you develop in yourself. Mm-hmm. Then it has to be something you really believe. Like you have to really believe that your setbacks or your failures don't say anything about you. They're opportunities for you to practice success. No, I love that. Do you have examples from your writing life or personal life of just kind of learning that resilience? Oh yeah. I mean, I feel like every time I make a mistake, like Mm -hmm. I had a couple of really big mistakes over my, my coaching career. Mm. And one of and I talk about one of them in the, I think it's the third book in the Dear Writer, You're Doing It Wrong book, where, well, actually the, the one that stands out the most is when I got fired. So mm. I actually got fired from a job and for what I would call cause, right? Like, I think that I was not doing what they expected me to do. 
but it, but how I got through that experience was in realizing that even when something awful and bad happens to me, that I can still find something good that comes out of that, even if it was the worst possible thing that I could have imagined Mm -hmm. at the time, Mm -hmm. if I'm willing to trust the process, right? So I feel like for me getting fired was, it took away a job that I thought I needed and I thought Mm -hmm. I loved and I was holding very tightly onto it too Mm -hmm. tightly, right? And when it got taken away, then that was when I started writing because I got a severance package from that job because they did terminate me, right? So I got Mm -hmm. a severance package. And I had six months to make the writing career full-time work. Oh, wow. And so, yeah. That's like, a so blessing. It was, it was, it was huge. And, yeah. and granted that not every, not every downside has an upside like that. <laughs> right. Um, but, I can picture was, listeners in the nine to five. Know, like, right? sign me up for termination, yeah. please. Can I get fired and then get those six months? And of course, like it happened in, in 2012. And so that was the mm. a, a time in indie publishing that was very lucrative time to be publishing. Right, right. So there was some of it that was timing and luck. And then, and I always talk about the four factors of, of success, which are luck, timing, hard work, and talent. Hmm. And so, so there is some element of timing and luck that happens, mm-hmm. but I had started trying to publish books and I'd actually been published already in 2009 and, two, mm-hmm. and 2010, 2011, and 2012 but I didn't really start making money or doing well until I, for me, made that shift away from the thing that was taking up all my time. And so I I do think there's something in the timing of that, the way that it happened, that Mm -hmm. was out of my control. But for sure, if I hadn't been ready to shift away anyway, I don't think that like, if I was still in a fixed mindset place about that job, I would not have taken that opportunity the way that I did. And so it was an opportunity for me to practice that resilience. Mm-hmm. Hopefully no one will ever have to have that, but. Unless they're in it for the six month severance, in which case go right? for it guys. And then, <laughs> and then that could be really beneficial. Yeah. yeah. Well, it reminds me of my mom died when I was young, but she was an author as well. And she's got this article that I love where she's talking about, like, it's, it's a serious issue. She was having some pretty severe medical issues and she wrote about one of her experiences. But what I love the way she she put it is she says usually whenever anything dramatic happens to me I'm totally fine with it because I know I can write about it one day <laughs> you know so oh, like yeah. she's being wheeled on a gurney you know like practically hemorrhaging to death and she's thinking like I can write about this one day this is exciting <laughs> so I kind of love That's that some I have positivity that right there right you know, I love that I have that in my in my jeans and my makeup <laughs> I love that. And there's something to that too. If you have that personality, that positivity where like anything can be an opportunity, even if we don't see it that way, like that's definitely a huge piece of resilience, I think. Yeah. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So in your 2020 book with the emphasis being kind of resilience, how do you, how do you go about defining that? Have you found like a short pithy definition? I haven't yet. Uh I haven't yet. (laughs) And I'm not sure that I'll be able to, and this is mostly just for me, because I I shy a little bit away from those definitions on a personal level, Mm -hmm. because I feel like everybody has their own language about what resilience means to them. And that's what resonates with them. Mm -hmm. So like some people are super into growth mindset stuff. Some people really like Brene Brown. Some people like everybody Mm kind of has their person. I'm a Ryan Holiday fan. Mm -hmm. So like, 
whoever you like that gives that definition is probably the language that'll mm. resonate with you. Mm-hmm. And I, I tend to like to, to say things in a lot of different ways mm-hmm. instead of like that one way. But I think that's actually a failing for me because I would probably be much more successful if I just be like, <laughs> tell me what it is. One truth. Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. No, your response. It's exactly like what people ask me about Amazon ads. I'm like, well, how much should I bid? And that's my response to it. I'm like, well, some people do it this way and other people like to <laughs> like, give me an answer. Yeah. Well, and, but, but you're right though. That's the problem is that there is no right answer. Like you're right in that everybody does it a little bit differently and Mm -hmm. each person does it differently that has success with it. There's a reason why they do. And I can't necessarily know that you're going to have success if you do it the way they did, because Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I'm not omniscient, but. Right. That would be cool. (laughs) That would be awesome. Becca, tell us when is this going to be over yet, right? Yeah. (laughs) We'd probably freak out way too much. Oh, I know. (laughs) I I need to not know things about the future sometimes. Yeah. Oh, for sure. For sure. So I love that you're kind of framing this concept of resilience in 2020. Thank God, wrapping 2020 up. What do you think like early 2021 is going to look like? Do you feel like we're on a swing as a maybe as an industry towards like something better or what do you see coming around the corner? I mean, because the winter tends to be a pretty good time for readers, like just Mm -hmm. in general, Mm -hmm. I do think that we're going to see some upsides now that all of the advertising and stuff for, for the politics is over and then the holidays will be over. Right. Like I think Mm -hmm. it's going to stabilize just a little bit more again. And people generally do better when things are more stable and predictable, like on a global scale. Mm -hmm. And so I think there's a lot of stability that will return to us in early 2021, even if nothing changes about the pandemic, but there's always Mm -hmm. a possibility, right? The longer we're in this, the more likely it is that there will be things that will happen that will make it better. Mm -hmm. And so I'm, I'm hopeful for that as well. But I do think that the industry itself, regardless of what happens in the external world is very robust. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that it's going anywhere, especially because in the winter, like, we're all going to be looking for books. And so I do think that there's every reason to be hopeful about the future Mm -hmm. of the industry. And and there are a lot of people who talk about the future of the industry in ways that are like, you know, the unpredictability is dangerous. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh no, there's always stability. Like there's always stability in the way that competitive markets act they act in the best interest of the consumer it still is in the best interest of the consumer that we all keep writing books so Mm, I think we're probably going to be okay (laughs) yeah yeah and how would you answer the author who's trying to decide like how much do you suggest we change our settings our writing styles what's Mm. your thought that's a really good question. And like at almost everything that I answer with, it depends Yeah, <laughs> because like there are genuinely people who, and, and let me just give two scenarios. One is people who have lost a lot this year, mm-hmm. like either they have had series that tanked because they missed pre-orders or mm-hmm. they have a total misfire in something that they had launched last year that now right. doesn't sell. 
I would say this is an opportunity if that's you to reinvent yourself completely mm, and to that. try something new in the new mm -hmm. year, because mm -hmm. in a, in a lot of ways, when we reinvent and we start over, we get to do the, the fun, exciting thing that will give us the energy to kind of keep going. Right. So like mm -hmm. take the opportunity for the reinvention. Don't worry about what has happened and, and where things have gone. You mm. always have an opportunity to rebound. And that's the other just to kind of go in that vein for a second, then I'll talk yeah, about the please. second um, mm -hmm. option. But we always think that our timeline is so much shorter than it really is. And one of the big things I do in coaching with people is to say, okay, how old are you? How many books can you typically write per year? And what does that mean about how many books that you can write in your entire lifetime? Mm -hmm. So let's say on a conservative estimate, you're 40 years old and you write four books a year. Mm -hmm. That means that in 10 years, you're going to write 40 books. And if you're going to live another four decades, you're going to write another mm -hmm. 120 books in your lifetime. That is a huge amount of opportunities to take a shot at doing better next time. I love so that. how I have mm -hmm. done now is less important when I know that there's more better coming if I continue right. to let myself grow. Yeah. Right? You have one bad launch and who cares, you know, if it's yeah. one out of a hundred books. Yeah. You'll rebound, like you'll rebound. And even if you only write one book a year, that's still 40 books. Like that's yeah. a lot of books that you could still write in your lifetime. And the industry is going to be different in two years and five years and 10 years. So like mm -hmm. a lot of us just need to kind of let the pressure off of ourselves mm -hmm. because we get so concerned about missing out on something. And I always right. quote Chris Fox whenever, cause I heard him talk about like the maturity of markets mm -hmm. and I'm like, the indie market is not going anywhere just because there was a gold rush or the, mm -hmm. even if the gold rush does end, there still is going to be an industry after the gold rush. That's going to be extremely robust and mm -hmm. accessible. So like, don't worry about it. If it doesn't happen right now, there will be many more trends in the future. Mm -hmm. There will be more opportunities in the future, like remind ourselves of that. So that's kind of the first like reinvention thing. The other piece is that a lot of people are able to, for many reasons, write more than they had before because either they no longer have to commute right. or like a lot of people just have these totally different situations where they can afford to take more of a risk. Mm -hmm. And if you can afford to take more of a risk, I would, because it def if you're, if you're not in burnout, if you're not frustrated by the way that your life is currently going productivity wise, then taking a risk can be really beneficial. And then for those of us who are frustrated by that, like who are not having a good year, mm -hmm. you're not alone. More than half of the people that we coach right now are just not able to write much. Right. Mm -hmm. So being conscious of the fact that there will be more work and life and time after all of this has settled and we, and it's okay to allow ourselves to take the time to do what we have to do. Well, yeah. that's a great lead into something I wanted your opinion on. So just kind of the, the distinction, how do you know when it's time for just total self-care versus when is it time to kind of just pull up your pants and get back to work? And how do you know? I mean, I know the answer is going to start with it depends, but what, it depends. <laughs> what happens yeah. after that it depends? Yeah. So and with this particular thing, it really depends on, on how much energy is in your tank, mm -hmm. because most of us 
when we think of self-care, we think of things like laying around and watching Netflix or, you know, eating junk food or something that Mm -hmm, makes us mm -hmm. feel good. But there's an awful lot of self-care that is about protecting our resilience, like exercising and being healthy Mm -hmm. and getting a lot of sleep and having positive relationships. Like there are some things that we need to do for self-care that might be in a wake up call sort of arena right now, yeah. right? Where like, and, and this has happened to me personally, I'm like, I am not at the health level that I want to be at for the rest of my life. So if yeah. I don't do something about that right now and do and practice real self-care, like almost intentional resilient style self-care, mm-hmm. I'm not going to be able to have the kind of life that I want for the next 40 years of my life. So like, I think there's a place for what is really self-care for you and what isn't? Because mm-hmm. I would have said a year ago that laying around watching Netflix and eating beef stroganoff was self-care for me. Uh-huh. And now I'm like, that is not very careful of your body. <laughs> that is not uh-huh. very conscious of your health, right? So I have a little bit different perspective today than I did about my own self-care. And so being conscious of what is self-care for us. Some of us who are on the other side of the spectrum from Becca have a, my, my needs are never more important than the people around me. Right. So our self-care is making sure to get the sleep that we need and get the care that we need and the emotional support that we need. And so if that's you in self-care, then your system will cry out for it. Like you will want to break away from everything and escape. You will want to tell everyone to go away. Like those kinds of things are the cry out of the system to say, Mm -hmm. I need to pay attention to myself a little bit more. So where the boundary is often is it for me, what are you naturally not doing? Mm -hmm. Because that's often, like I said, the self-care is sometimes the opposite of what we think it is. For some of us, it would benefit us a lot to work harder than we're working because we're mm-hmm. taking it easy on ourselves because we think that we can't handle it, right. but we actually need to be challenged a little bit and we need to push ourselves to work. So this is something that I think you have to make a decision about based on someone else's perspective besides yours. Because if I'm mm-hmm. an indulgent person, I'm going to say my self-care is still going to look like laying on the couch <laughs> and eating beef stroganoff. Right, and that's right. not very good for me. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's it's a really hard wrestling, you know, I don't do the one-on-one coaching like you do, but even in just talking about productivity with authors and things, it always is, well, I, you know, I'm positive, I'm gentle, I'm not going to be the, you know, tough love person, but is that just enabling a lot of people to do nothing? I don't know. I don't think so because a lot of like, especially if you're talking to authors with children Mm -hmm. or people who are like family, like we have a lot of men who are stay at home parents. Right. And when you are in care of someone else, you probably are not erring on the side of indulgence Mm. often Mm -hmm. because you're often sacrificing your own needs for other people. And Mm -hmm. so you really do need that reminder of like, when was the last time you went to a hotel room and were by yourself? And was the last time you let somebody else take care of your children? Like that kind Mm -hmm. of gentleness, I think is really necessary because we don't always do that for ourselves when somebody else's needs are at stake. Right. Yeah. No, I think that that's fabulous word, especially for parents whose 
schedules totally have been disrupted this whole year. Yeah. It's pretty yes. intense. So the Clifton Strengths, and like I know a lot of your work is with, it's like it's a corporate thing. So you're familiar with this whole success coaching, not just for authors. So I'm curious how you feel, like how does self-care right now look different for somebody who's a writer versus just the kind of tips you get about self-care and resilience for the, the everyday population? Yeah, most writers are not as aware as we should be of how much our brain is impacted by what fills it. Mm. So like your creativity comes from your brain. So the difference that I always equivocate with is if you make a physical product with your hands that someone else has created a stamp for or a process Mm -hmm. for, or like if you are doing something in an office that's replicatable task where right. you don't have to engage your creativity center in order to make that happen, then self-care is going to look a little bit different because you can push yourself a lot harder before your breaking point where you can't work anymore. But a lot of authors, because our product comes out of our brain, then mm-hmm. if we're filling our brains with negativity and with fear and danger and and like conflict and stuff like that, then if we are not wired to be able to process that quickly and easily, that's going to affect our ability to write because Mm -hmm. we can't have the creative freedom or the creative space that we need in order to make those words happen. So we always use the uh, metaphor of the bread machine with a writer Uh where you have the, so let's say all of the elements that you use to create the book are outside of your bread machine. You go and gather them all up and throw them inside lock the top and then hit the hours where you want bread to Mm -hmm. come out and then you walk away from it. So, so much of that creativity is happening in your brain as your Mm -hmm. brain processes over all those ingredients that you put inside of it. And if you don't have the freedom inside of there to have enough space for all of that work to happen, then -hmm. you're not going to be able to output or produce the book that you want to produce. And so, self-care for authors so often looks different because you need to stay away from social media. You need to close down your email. You need to like, there's all of these things to protect your brain space that have Mm -hmm. to happen. Silence, being aggressive about handling conflict, cutting off sources of negativity, keeping stability in your environment. Like a lot of those things are necessary because you have to make the product in your brain. So you need your brain to be open, I guess. Yeah, no, that's the best explanation I've heard. Have you heard the the argument against writer's block where they'll be like, well, there's no such thing as plumber's block. Have you heard that? Yes. Like if you're a plumber, you yes. don't wake up and be like, oh, I can't plumb today. And I feel like what yeah. you just said is is such a perfect, response like I've never liked that argument just because I've gone through writer's block I know it's real now not everybody listening is going to accept that that's fine if you've never had it great (laughs) but I love that explanation for how it is different when you've got something that yeah it comes from your brain so you've got to be more careful about that and you're creating something from nothing right like it isn't just like I make words or I have to talk to people in the office or whatever it's like Mm -hmm. I'm creating something from nothing that takes a whole different level of energy for an awful lot of us like not for everybody but for a lot of us and that's actually my argument for why writer's block needs to be an entertained subject among writers Mm -hmm. is because when you're creating something from nothing 
it's a different style of practice than plumbers and cellists and doctors, right? It's just mm-hmm. a different practice. So you mm-hmm. can't judge them by the same rules. Yeah, you may not, you may not be able to take a day off in terms of like, let's say I can't not open my manuscript, but does that mean I'm necessarily going to get words done today? No, because I might need to go think or plan mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. ideate, or I may need right. to edit or do something like that instead of making words and this pressure of somehow you should just be able to produce this product. Like it's a stamped out thing from a, from a, like industrial like factory. factory or something. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like yeah. that's not, this It's not equal, right? Those products are not equal. Yeah. No, I love that. I think that's a fabulous way to explain it. Awesome. So the book is called Dear Writer, It's 2020. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. So by the time you guys are hearing this interview, it should be up for pre-order. And is there any, any other takeaways from the book, any kind of topics that we didn't cover? If, if you're handed the megaphone for all indie authors right now, what's the, what's the parting message you want to make sure everybody hears? I would say everybody's different question the premise of all the advice that you get about whether it applies to you based more on how it works for you rather than who gave it. So Mm -hmm. my pet peeve about giving advice to authors is the expectation that if someone is successful, then I should just adopt their system instead of questioning the premise of whether or not we're similar enough for me to expect success to happen from their system. So that's my like one big megaphone topic is question the premise, just question the premise. (laughs) I love that. Yeah. And do you want to share a tiny bit about your courses and your Patreon and all the good stuff that you're doing for authors month in and month out? We do a strengths program for writers, which is a coaching based cohort where you learn a little bit about your strengths and then we coach you through individual because we're an individualized platform. And then we also have a class on author systems, like how to find the best system to kind of set up your life. And it's called write better faster. And then the Patreon is primarily right now for if you want coaching or you want to read like the, the excerpts or something of the mm-hmm. book or something like that. But we offer the coaching on the Patreon just to make it easier to kind of aggregate everybody. And so that's probably what I would check out there. And we do a lot of like, we do some fun stuff about strengths. Like I do a top five fictional top five guests of a character. Like we just did mm-hmm. the Winchester brothers Those are fun. Uh, for the last two months from supernatural. And I've done Buffy and, yeah, so that's the kind of stuff that we do on the Patreon. It's a lot of you fun. You need to get more Marvel characters in there. Otherwise, all the other references go over my head. <laughs> I know. Somebody was just saying that they're like, I really want to see like Captain America or Batman. And I was like, oh, there's Fe- there's like December, <laughs> January, and February. Or Groot. There we go. <laughs> oh, I like that. Oh, that would be a good idea. Awesome. Yeah, now I'm thinking about that. Yeah. Well, good. I'm glad that I'm glad that we got the ball rolling on there. <laughs> Yeah. So thank you so much for being here for this interview. Thank you for your book. Like I'm, I'm already inspired just knowing there's a book coming that's really addressing these things specifically for this year and specifically for authors. I think that that's such a needed thing in this space. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. It's It's been really fun. Yeah. Yeah. And for anybody who's even a tiny, tiny bit interested in the strengths is the best place to start. Where do they get to the the specific strengths for writers? Yeah. So you can actually, anytime I go on a podcast, I always tell people, if you want to come and take the test, come to our website, 
mention this podcast to us and we'll give you a code to take the test. Awesome. So betterfasteracademy.com, all one word. And, and there's a little thing at the top that says, did you hear about us on a podcast that you could just click that, let us know that Alana sent you, and then we'll give you a code for the test. That's awesome. Yeah. It's really, really interesting information. Unlike any of the other, like we've talked about MBTI on the show before and things, which I still love, but it's just been great to have another layer of just knowing more about yourself and what makes you specifically tick. So I highly recommend it. So Thanks again, Beck. It was great having you on. Yeah, thank you.